This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. It's back in the news and it's back everywhere. COVID-19, which seemed to be going away, has had a resurgence in India recently, with data as of April 14th showing that over 11,000 new cases have been recorded. While this particular subvariant XBB.1.16 is believed to be mild and not as virulent as 2021's Delta variant, the government is taking the surge in cases seriously. It has asked states to remain prepared in terms of beds, oxygen and adequate testing kits. The country has so far administered over 220 crore doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, though booster dose coverage has remained low at about 16%. Do we need to worry about this current surge in cases? Who needs to take the booster? Will COVID-19 continue to lie low for a little while and then emerge occasionally with a spurt in cases? And what precautions can we take against it? We discuss this and more with Dr. K. Srinath Reddy, honorary distinguished professor at the Public Health Foundation of India. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Dr. Srinath Reddy. Glad to be with you. Doctor, as of today, India has recorded 11,109 new COVID cases. Active cases in the country have not now gone up to nearly 50,000, standing at 49,622, according to data by the Union Health Ministry released today. This is another spike that we are seeing uh, since the third wave. Could you tell us what is triggering these new spikes in cases? Firstly, I think the numbers we'll have to take with a pinch of salt, because if you really look at how the transmission takes place many people are going to be asymptomatic and some mildly symptomatic people are unlikely to even get tested therefore we are only seeing part of the picture if you think of the entire picture like a pyramid the broad base is of the people who are infected and asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic and do not get tested at the mid level you have others who are mildly or moderately symptomatic and do get tested but do not need to go to hospital at the top of the pyramid are people who have more severe illness and do go to the hospital may get hospitalized and some of them do end up in intensive care with a few fatalities perhaps so i believe the likelihood of people actually infected is going to be much higher but that is no reason for us to panic because currently we know that omicron whichever the sub variant that is emerging is highly infectious but not as virulent in its clinical manifestations as earlier forms like delta therefore now we have to recognize that this virus is with us it's going to remain with us with periodic surges and periodic declines it's part of our environment and we will have to deal with that in terms of possible intermittent outbreaks in different parts of the country doctor going back to what you said about the the specific variant not being as virulent as delta which we saw in the second wave scientists have said that this is xbb.1.16 correct which is currently responsible but it's supposed to be milder in nature So, have we developed hybrid immunity due to, say, vaccination as well as um, exposure to the disease as well? Is that why it is not affecting us as badly? Well, it's very possible 
that we have developed hybrid immunity and also have some degree of natural immunity in some sections of the population, which is also protective. The hybrid immunity comes from prior infection or from prior vaccination, or in many people from a combination of both. Now it is likely that some of this immunity may be declining in people whose immune response was not strong to begin with. Uh, people who are immunosuppressed or immunocompromised or very elderly or poorly nourished people where the immunity may not be long lasting. But even that we are not very certain about because we have generally judged immunity levels by antibody levels and not by what are called the T cell or cellular immunity levels, which are a little more difficult to study. However, even assuming that there is a certain level of hybrid immunity, people will get infected. The immunity is only going to protect you against severe illness. Infection itself cannot be completely avoided by people who have some level of immunity. All that it will do is to make it extremely mild or even asymptomatic. But the entry of the virus into the respiratory tract, the upper respiratory tract, is not going to be prevented because you do not have, in many of the cases who have been vaccinated, secretory antibodies that have developed. And that's not going to wash out the virus from the nose. Uh, some of the natural infection would have possibly developed that. But I don't think we should get alarmed by the fact that the virus will infect some people. All that we have to really worry about is how many people is it infecting with serious illness as a consequence. Therefore, the numbers of infections actually are relatively unimportant at this point in time. Uh, but it's good to believe that our hybrid immunity acquired through both prior infection as well as through vaccination is still having some residual protective effect, preventing many people from getting severely ill. We are three years down the line now, doctor, and you spoke about immunity waning, both, both the protective immunity that the um, vaccines gave us as well as our natural immunity. So does that mean that there can continue to be strains of coronavirus that can infect us in the future and that vaccines will not have as protective an effect as they used to? Well, this virus is going to stay with us. Uh, whether there will be further subvariants that are going to be developing, we'll have to wait and see. Probably they will. However, it is likely that some degree of residual immunity would be there in the population through natural infection that has already occurred, which is more broadband immunity. Some amount of broadband immunity would have also come from an inactivated virus vaccine like we have had in Covaxin. Now, some of the problems may be related to the spikes pro protein-specific vaccines, uh, like the mRNA or even the virus vector vaccines, which are focused almost exclusively on the spike protein. But even there, the variants will have some components of the spike protein, which are still available for counterattack by the antibodies or by the T cell immunity in particular. So I believe a fair amount of immunity would be still available to protect. Whether these vaccines are going to be protective against the new variants is difficult to say. We'll have to test them out uh, in the laboratory. However, 
the need for large scale vaccination may not be there if the virus itself is less virulent and is only called, causing mild symptoms in most people whom it infects or even doesn't cause any symptoms in some of them, then we do not have much to worry and seek recourse to uh, repetitive vaccination. Those who are immunocompromised or immunodeficient or very elderly with a waning immunity are the people who may need further vaccination. And how effective those vaccines are going to be in preventing severe illness, we'll have to wait and see. But I believe the situation is very different from what we saw in 2021. This virus is different. The population is different. And people are also now taking some uh, effective measures of personal protection when the cases go up. We are seeing people using masks more often, even to prevent themselves getting infected. I don't think we have to depend only on new, uh, modified or uh, uh, freshly developed vaccines. Speaking about vaccines, uh, doctor, many developed parts of the world have given third, even fourth booster shots uh, to large sections of their population to prevent against reinfection. Uh, Indian, India, however, uh, has had a very low coverage of its booster dose, uh, ranging between 16 and 30 percent of the population. Uh, do you think we need to work on this further or um, does our natural hybrid immunity, does, does, does it protect us from the need for more doses of the vaccine? Well, when we really look at the epidemiology of any disease, we talk about three things, the agent, the host and the environment. Now, as far as the agent is concerned, Omicron and its subvariants have a demonstrated track record of higher infectivity, but low virulence. Also some degree of higher immune escape. But the important factor to remember is manifesting low levels of clinical virulence. As far as the host is concerned, there is a fair amount of immunity that is still residual. As far as the environment is concerned, I think our public health measures are still uh, being enforced to some extent, at least as cautionary advice, if not as mandatory uh, orders. And people are also taking precautions of their own in when uh, the cases are going up uh, by not only taking uh, undertaking personal protection measures, but avoiding large crowds and travel and so on. So I think the situation is rather different from the past. And therefore, having to take recourse uh, to multiple vaccine doses may not be really required at this point in time, but we'll have to keep a watch, uh, particularly if a new virulent virus emerges, uh, which is not like the current Omicron uh, subtypes. And that could still happen, uh, particularly if there is what's called an antigenic shift. If in a person who is immunocompromised or in a person who is highly debilitated, and there's multiple co-infections with several viruses. And if the viruses within those bodies start exchanging genetic material and a new, new more virulent uh, virus emerges, then we are in trouble. But that's why we need to some, have, keep some degree of genomic surveillance. But that doesn't necessarily mean mass testing. What are we worried about? We are worried about a more virulent virus. And for that, we'll have to check all the cases who are getting hospitalized with serious infection and then see which of them are because of COVID uh, virus and which of them are on what subtype are they 
and uh, do genomic surveillance in all of them. And also possibly at the community level, rather than doing mass testing of the people, we could depend upon wastewater surveillance to get early alerts, both of rising uh, levels of virus uh, excretion and also of any emerging new virus sub, uh, forms. So I think this is how we'll have to reorganize our surveillance rather than asking everybody to go and get tested every time they have a sneeze. The union government has taken the current surge fairly seriously, doctor. It has held consultative meetings with states and it has also asked them to ensure that all their COVID-19 protocols are in place, hospitals are ready, oxygen is ready, etc. So while this might, while this might uh, you know, be a good thing in terms of ensuring that the state's preparedness is in hand, is there anything more that needs to be done? You spoke about increasing genomic surveillance. Is that, is that something the government needs to focus on? Well, I think the government is being responsive and responsible in undertaking several of these measures because we don't want a catastrophe. As we say, even if this is not likely to emerge as a very serious threat like Delta, we still have to adopt a no regrets policy in keeping our systems under full preparation. Uh, in terms of surveillance, yes, hospital-based surveillance and wastewater surveillance both will have to be stepped up. And I understand wastewater surveillance is being undertaken in uh, 40 uh, urban areas of the country. Uh, and we'll also have to look at whether we want to do like some countries have started doing, uh, wastewater surveillance of the waste collected from incoming aircraft of international travel, rather than testing every single international travel on entry, which is becoming very difficult logistically and may not have much yield. Uh, some countries have started taking wastewater surveillance uh, measures for looking at uh, waste collected from incoming aircraft. And if there is a high viral load in that or new virus types in that, then the alerts go up. So I think there are other methods of surveillance that we need to adopt and while we get on with our normal lives. Doctor, going back to something you mentioned a little earlier about how uh, even despite the fact that a large, large number of people seem to be getting infected every day, hospitalization still continues to remain low. Could you give us a lowdown as to who are the vulnerable people and who should be taking more precautions at this time? So far, most of the people who have been admitted to hospitals have been identified as having either adverse prognostic factors like advanced age or more often having other severe comorbidities like hypertension, uncorrected hypertension, diabetes, or even other, condi other conditions like, for example, cancer chemotherapy and so on. So we know that uh, people who are likely to have low levels of uh, immunity or high levels of comorbidities which make even a mild infection more severe in terms of clinical consequences, they are the people who are likely to be more affected. Of course, there is another condition also which one has to keep in mind. People who have reasonable amount of immunity as well, if they are repetitively subjected to high viral loads exposure, then they too can get overwhelmed. Their immunity can get overwhelmed by that high viral load. That's why we sometimes find even relatively young nurses and doctors getting into trouble because they've had that repetitive exposure. So it's important that we, they wear masks and use other personal protection equipment 
And also they have rotating duties so that they're not constantly exposed to high viral loads. But in general, from the community, people who do get into hospital are people who are elderly, who are diabetic, have uncontrolled hypertension or severe chronic lung disease or kidney disease or have cancer. So these are the kind of people who are more likely to be getting into serious trouble. Branching off a little bit, doctor, uh, from December to March, we had a pretty bad, what felt like a pretty bad flu season with pretty much everybody uh, in in, our, in people's radius is falling sick. And uh, H3N2 was one of the uh, names of the viruses that was uh, that the ICMR said was doing the rounds. So we are we going to see this every year now, doctor? Uh, possibly a, a flu virus that's doing the round alongside coronavirus? Well, uh, I think we are going to be seeing this, definitely. Uh, we have uh, this as well as the adenoviruses and the usual uh, pre-existing common cold viruses. Uh, so even the flu viruses have different types, uh, even the H1N1 apart from the H3N2. So they're all around there. So periodically, as the situation changes in terms of weather, in terms of people mixing, in terms of international travel, uh, bringing in some viruses, we are going to be seeing outbreaks. As long as we recognize that these are unlikely to result in very serious threats, uh, like what we experienced with Delta, I think we can be somewhat comforted in the fact that this is part of life now. Though we each individuals will still have to take precautions, it is still better under these circumstances to wear masks if you are likely to get into crowded ill-ventilated places. It is still better to avoid unnecessary crowding. So those are sensible precautions. Otherwise, we are definitely going to see these viruses around and they're not going to be coming alone. They'll probably come together or in sequence. And we are going to have an IPL of viruses periodically. Who would you recommend get tested, doctor? Uh, the government has said those with influenza-like illness and uh, SARI, uh, severe acute respiratory illnesses, get tested. Uh, but should is it necessary for anybody who has a cold and upper, upper respiratory tract infection and fever for, to immediately get tested for COVID or any other virus that there is? I personally do not think so. A diagnostic test should be employed only when the management decision is going to be influenced by the result. Now, if a mild cold does not require hospitalization, does not require antiviral drugs, does not require oxygen, does not require steroids, and therefore it's not really necessary to get tested. If the clinical condition deteriorates or becomes more severe, then of course one must go and get tested because then the interventions will be very specific to that situation. Second, of course, is are we trying missing out new variants? If you actually do the testing in all hospitalized cases with uh, serious acute respiratory infections, then you'll know which are the virus subtypes which are responsible and whether a new variant which is more virulent is emerging and causing problems. Whereas subjecting everybody with a common cold uh, to uh, virus testing for COVID is unnecessary and I believe uh, it uh, need not be really mandated. You recommended that at this stage, we continue to follow what we learned to do during the pandemic, which is masking, physical distancing norms and hand washing. Would you recommend that that continues throughout? Yes, because uh, we masking definitely when you are in a very crowded situation, particularly in an ill-ventilated area, when the cases are rising and you want to protect yourself. 
I mean, let me repeat this. Vaccines in general do not protect you against infection. They protect you against serious illness. If you don't want to get infected at all because you don't want to miss out on your work, you don't want to be confined to home, you don't want to miss out on your classes, and you don't want to get worried what will happen to your health if you get vaccinated, if you get infected, then you better protect yourself with a mask uh, to protect your respiratory system from becoming accessible to viruses. And at the same time, recognizing that there are two modes of transmission. The SARS-CoV-2 virus mainly spreads through aerosols, but the H3N2 spreads mainly through droplets. So you do need your hand washing. So it is important that we adopt both the measures. So I think those are common sense elements of personal protection that we must continue to follow as the situation changes and uh, react appropriately and adequately. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Doctor. Most welcome. Uh, let's hope that uh, we do not have to uh, really worry too much about uh, the current outbreak and uh, hope that uh, the worry creases on our foreheads will not deepen. Absolutely, Doctor. Let's really hope this is mild and goes away quickly. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.